welcome to this special episode of EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. I'm Prudence Robertson. So let's put aside whatever differences we have and serve the women who, who say yes to life. Pro-Life Leadership. We speak to the president of Susan B. Anthony Pro-Life America, Marjorie Dannenfelser, who shares how her group has continuously been fighting the most important human rights battle of our time. NFL player turned pro-life advocate. Benjamin Watson, a former NFL player, now serves as the vice president of strategic relationships at Human Coalition. He joins us to share why he and his wife are committed to defending life. A father of seven, Watson says, it is crucial to hand down our pro-life beliefs to our children and to future generations to restore a culture that is pro-family. Standing with you. As we embark on this new post-Roe era, the president of Students for Life of America, Kristen Hawkins, shares how her organization will continue to stand with mothers in need as they refocus their efforts on closing down Planned Parenthood's nationwide. In this special episode, we speak with some of the influential leaders in the pro-life movement. Marjorie Dannenfelser is the president of Susan B. Anthony Pro-Life America, previously known as the Susan B. Anthony List. We spoke to Dannenfelser before the group announced their new name and expansion. She told us how and why she got involved in the pro-life movement. And joining us now is Marjorie Dannenfelser, president of the Susan B. Anthony List. Marjorie, thanks so much for being with us. Could you start by just telling us about the beginnings of the Susan B. Anthony List? What inspired you and the women around you to do something about the reality of abortion in America? Well, ironically, it began in my living room, and I'm speaking to you from my living room right now, a different one, but absolutely, um, completely committed to the idea that there should be authentic women's voices speaking up for life, uh, for the women's lives and the lives of children uh, who are being elected to public office. So we, there were really no women, pro-life women elected to public office at that time, only like one or two. And, uh, but there were so many on the other side. And we also noticed that there were very strong lobbies for all sorts of interest groups, tobacco, uh, dairy farmers, all sorts of interest groups, and also Emily's List, a very powerful pro-abortion pack for women, and nothing for the unborn. So that was the beginning. And as we grew, uh, we were able to increase in scale so that we could be effective in electing statewide uh, office holders in battleground states, men and women, so that we could eventually get to the point where we are now. Could you talk about some of the most challenging moments along the way and uh, some of your proudest moments as well? Well, I guess there's no question that probably the most difficult thing, um, Mother Angelica, I bet, agreed in the beginning, um, was that raising the funds uh, to do what you needed to do to increase the scale, to be able to make a big difference and high impact, uh, because lives, were on the, lives are on the lines, was probably the most difficult piece. But just like Mother Angelica, the women that and men that I worked with early on and still have always first put this in God's hands just when we thought that the next step was not gonna be possible because we couldn't scrape together the funds to do it, something happened every time at the last minute. It's become almost a mantra on our team that God has uh, provided even just the financial resources. He's provided everything else, uh, the people, the need, all of that, um, but, it's, but it's happened over and over. Um, rewarding is, I would say there's no more rewarding than this one that we're living in right now. 
Right, and in light of this moment, how has your vision of our role as pro-life Americans changed over the years? Our vision um, over the years has changed and it stayed the same. There's one thing that's always been, and that is that we had to get to a place where this human rights battle of our time was, um, was solved by the ingenuity of Americans that were using the tools of democracy in order to fix that human rights abuse, the greatest one this nation has ever seen. So really the vision of how that would happen seemed slow and was almost five decades. Uh, in God's time, that's just a blip on the screen, but what it is is the loss of many souls uh, and many children to the tragedy of abortion. Yes. So the vision is the same, but now the job is very different and very exciting, the most exciting ever, and that's to get to work electing these folks, making sure that we get laws that are on the books that protect the lives of unborn children and their moms. Mm. And Marjorie, I know you and I share our Catholic faith. As a Catholic pro-life leader, can you speak to the role of the church in raising awareness about the injustice of abortion, especially in the culture that we live in today? In the very beginning, from the very beginning, uh, even before Roe versus Wade, the church was at the heart of this, uh, of this question. And this, this question has been at the heart of the church. And that is, how do we treat the least among us? And the, uh, while it's not been perfect over time, it has been consistent over time that there have been great bishops and great popes who have communicated this into the hearts of the faithful to keep us going when we were on our knees and not able to see where, where to go next. Uh, as a convert to the faith, I wouldn't be sitting here right now if, uh, if the church had not enlivened my soul and my heart and my intellect to really apply all of that to this great cause. I owe everything to the church, particularly Pope John Paul. And EWTN has been a major part of my formation. So if it's true for me, I know it's true for everyone else. Mm, and you are no doubt a wonderful addition to our Catholic family. Marjorie, what is your message to those who are pro-abortion? My message is uh, receive our love. And when you receive our love, know that it comes from your creator and know that, um, that we all have a common project now and that is to tend to the needs of women and children. And let's do this together. We know that there's common ground, and we know that, uh, that, that everyone wants to make something strong and mission-centered in their lives. Let's make this mission together. Let's put aside whatever differences we have and serve the women who, who say yes to life. Marjorie Dannenfelser, always an honor to speak with you. We're so thankful for the work that you do at Susan B. Anthony List. Thanks so much, Prudence. You may recognize this pro-life leader from the football field. Benjamin Watson now serves as Vice President of Strategic Relationships at Human Coalition. Watson is a Super Bowl champion and father of seven. He, along with his wife Kirsten, spend much of their time helping those in need through their foundation known as One More. In this next interview, Watson shared how he and his wife are committed to teaching their children about the importance of putting family first and how to live in a way that puts the needs of the vulnerable before our own. And joining us now via Skype is Benjamin Watson, Vice President of Strategic Partnerships at Human Coalition, former NFL player and pro-life advocate. Ben, thanks for being with us today. Could you tell us about your pro-life work? What made you decide to go all in and become an outspoken advocate for unborn children? Well, thank you, Prudence. I appreciate you having me. And I think this is a really important conversation, obviously, when it comes to the issue of life. Uh, for me and for my wife, you know, this entire issue really has to do with justice and with protecting vulnerable people groups and the preborn child 
uh, is the most vulnerable among us. Uh, I would say that we have been involved uh, primarily when it came to purchasing ultrasound units at different PRCs. Uh, it was actually my wife's idea, and we got involved with doing that. And I think that our interest uh, really grew and allowed us to uh, really use our voice in a way that um, not only uh, protects people and children, but we also understand the importance of loving mothers as well. What a beautiful thing and movement that the two of you chose to, to join in together. And I know that you have a beautiful family. How has your pro-life work impacted family life? And how are you passing on your values and beliefs to your children? Well, I think one of the most important things that we do as parents is uh, pass on uh, kind of that um, social capital to our children and teach our children the importance uh, of life, of loving people, of caring for other people. Those are the things that I learned from my parents uh, those are the things that I hope to pass on to my children. And we also, as parents, we're the parents of seven, understand that uh, much of what we teach our children is, is caught by them as much as it is taught. Uh, what I mean by that is we, as parents, are able to demonstrate what it means to be people who live uh, with conviction, people who live with integrity, people who care about other people. And it's important that we bring our kids around and allow them to see us do some of the work that we do. Um, I've had an opportunity to bring a couple of my oldest daughters with me uh, to some of the events that we've done, charitable events, but also in speaking to different pro-life leaders the way that you are doing right, right now, I've been able to bring them along with me. And in that way, I think they see that this is not something that mom and daddy just talk about, but something that's truly important to them. Mm. And you know very well that Planned Parenthood often targets minorities by offering their pro-abortion work and agenda as essential and necessary for these groups to make progress in our society. What are your thoughts on that? Well, you're exactly right. You're exactly right. And um, Planned Parenthood uh, goes where people are vulnerable and goes where people have a need, and then they offer uh, death as a way to fix that need. Uh, I think that also in the conversation in Planned Parenthood, and this is something that we also talk to our kids uh, about when we're able to, um, is the fact that uh, Planned Parenthood thrives off of a culture in the United States um, that minimizes and uh, discriminates in many ways against black life. And so they are a part of a culture where, when you look at the history of this country, uh, black Americans have been treated differently in so many other sectors, and that makes us vulnerable to organizations like Planned Parenthood who would prey upon that. And so when we think about Planned Parenthood, yes, what they're doing is uh, needs to be combated. And I think there are so many people um, across ethnic backgrounds in the pro-life movement who understand what they're doing. But also, when you think about why the disparities are the way they are when it comes to the black abortion rate compared to white counterparts, all those issues, whether they be housing, whether they be income, whether they be employment, whether they be generational wealth, are results of so many different disparaging and disparate laws, um, treatment that we've seen throughout the history in the United States. It all has to be addressed. Mm. And Ben, what is your message to people in the public eye, such as yourself as a former NFL player, who are afraid to defend life due to the cancel culture that we live in today? Um, you know, I, I think that um, it's about conviction, and there are going to be things that, that you stand for uh, that people don't agree with on either side. Uh, I think there's always going to be a group that doesn't agree with what you say. Uh, one thing that we try to tell our kids is that when you stand for something, 
uh, that is right, no matter what it is, there are going to be people who stand against you. We want to teach them to be people of conviction. And we also teach our children to expect that certain things that they say and do and stand for aren't going to be accepted by the larger culture. Um, that can go for a number of different things. So, so my encouragement to people, and it always is, is that if you have a voice, use it. There are so many people, Prudence, who are unable to speak because of maybe the place that they work uh, would look down upon the, their viewpoints when it comes to this issue. Maybe they have family members that would look down upon them. Maybe they don't feel like they have a voice. That's why it's imperative that those of us who are able to, that we speak out because we, in fact, encourage those who may feel like their, their voices have been either discarded or minimized, and, and we encourage them to speak out. I've, mm. I've heard it from them firsthand. Yes. Well, thank you for using your platform and your voice to defend life. Benjamin Watson of Human Coalition. Thank you. Coming up, we speak to the president of Students for Life of America, who tells us why she wants to close down every Planned Parenthood in the country and how she aims to help women in need. Plus, founder and president of Live Action, Lila Rose, shares why it's so important to change hearts and minds when it comes to advocating for an end to abortions. Welcome back to this special episode of EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. I'm Prudence Robertson. Kristen Hawkins is the president of Students for Life of America. Her organization works with young adults who seek to build and become the voice of the pro-life generation. Students for Life of America has served nearly 1,300 college campus groups. Last year alone, the pro-life organization raised $71.4,000 to help mothers in need. On June 24th, Hawkins announced the much-anticipated Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization decision outside of the Supreme Court. She shares her reaction to the final verdict and what she hopes to accomplish now that the debate is playing out in the states. I'm here with Kristen Hawkins, president of Students for Life of America. Thanks so much for joining me, Kristen. Thanks for having me. Want to get your thoughts about that moment at the Supreme mm -hmm. Court when you announced to the world that Roe versus Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey had been overruled. What was that moment like for you? Uh, surreal. Um, uh, you know, it wasn't a planned moment. We had been there every decision day since the end of March as Students for Life. We wanted to make sure that, you know, the faces that the mainstream media in America saw were, you know, smiling, joyful young people celebrating the end of this egregiously wrong decision. Um, and so we had been there for weeks at, um, and talked about it. And it's something that we've been talking about for the entire 16 years of Students for Life's existence right. is this post-Roe America that, that we were creating and building towards. Um, and so it, it, was a, it was a very special moment, yeah. put that way. Right. And talk to me about what young people think about abortion now. Even, uh, you know, with Roe versus Wade overturned, this, this is, you know, a highly contentious debate. Sure. What are you hearing from young people? There's a lot of confusion about what Roe versus Wade really was about. And, you know, if, if you liked any limits on abortion, you don't like Roe versus Wade. And that's that's the plain reality there. Um, there's been a lot of push polls that the left has been pushing out lately saying, oh, majority of Americans oppose, you know, Supreme Court's reversal of Roe. Um, I would challenge anybody who says that to say, then did 
you ask or tell the respondents what Roe really was? Mm. Um, and so I think when we head back to campuses this fall, we're going to see a lot of folks who ha are confused about what Roe did. Right. Um, but what we know from our own polling in our Institute for Pro-Life Advancement in the past two or three years, every January we ask 18 to 34-year-olds, do you think you should have a voice and vote for life in your state? Every time we, we see a large majority, we was six and 10 uh, two years ago, this past year it was eight out of 10 said that they thought they should have a voice and vote. So regardless of how they feel about abortion, they feel like they should at least have a say and not just seven men in the Supreme Court. Mm, yes, and you recently tweeted, you know, what your strategy is moving forward. Now that Roe versus Wade is overturned, sure. you want to close down Planned Parenthoods everywhere yeah. and then ensure that women know about the resources that they have, in particular, through your new initiative, Standing With You. Could you tell me about that? Yeah, I think, you know, I look at this fight now as an offense and defensive fight. Offensively, we have to show America that no woman stands alone in the post-Roe America, and that it has been us, the pro-life movement, for five decades that's been starting, sustaining, supporting pregnancy resource centers, maternity homes that well outnumber abortion facilities across the country. Mm. We knocked in the past year and a half on 120,000 doors in 20 cities in neighborhoods that surround abortion facilities. It's a campaign we call Abortion-Free Cities Campaign. 73% of neighbors we've spoken with in the past year and a half in neighborhoods that surround facilities that provide abortions do not know about the nonviolent resources that exist in their community. Defensively, we've got to tackle and make the case to the American people why chemical abortions, why those who peddle chemical abortions, um, why th that needs to stop, because right. these are dangerous, dangerous drugs. Yes, and explain to me what the latest is on that front with chemical abortion. I know the numbers and the demand is rising for that, even in states where abortion is now banned. That's right. And that's something that a lot of pro-lifers don't understand. You may live in a safe, you know, red state that outlaws abortion in, in a post-Roe era, but that doesn't mean your daughter or granddaughter won't be able to order abortion pills on her cell phone mm. and have an abortion in your bathroom. And then every morning when she wakes up to brush her teeth, goes and relives the abortion. Mm. That's exactly what's happening. And the Biden administration has been working um, hand in glove with Planned Parenthood and the abortion industry. They dropped all of the REMS, the risk evaluation mitigation strategies, this December. These were common sense, you know, safety restrictions just for women to say, you know, hey, if you, before you take this drug, we have to ensure you're not experiencing a life-threatening ectopic pregnancy. Right. Or ensure you're not RH negative, meaning if you have this abortion, don't get the Rogan shot, you may never be able to carry to term another child again. That's all that, that those REMS did. They took away all of that. And so, you know, the whole mantra of abortion between a woman and her doctor, or we want abortion to be safe, they can never use that those mantras ever again because they are proving the abortion industry. They are about one thing, and that is completing as many abortions as possible. And they, they think through chemical abortion, they have found a loophole to what's been happening in the states, where states have been moving to ban abortion. In campuses, in California, this coming January, every college campus, every state campus will be legally required to dispense chemical abortion mm. right on campus. Uh, states like Massachusetts and New Mexico have already talked about following suit. So this is a major problem. I mean, they want chemical abortions on campuses, they want them on vending machines, they want them over the counter, uh, because these are the ideologues who are driving this entire movement. Right, very well said, and we're praying for you and your whole team, Kristen Thank Hawkins you. of Students for Life of America. Thank you. Thanks.
The president of live action, Lila Rose, got her start in our movement as a young girl. As a teen, she exposed illegal practices by the nation's largest abortion business, Planned Parenthood, and continued to do so in college through her undercover reporting at UCLA. A thought leader in our movement, her group has been vocal about their work to ensure that someday soon, all unborn children have equal protection under the law based on the 14th Amendment of our Constitution. Her organization has one of the largest online followings globally. Rose tells us how Live Action's online campaigns have helped educate people about the truth regarding the brutal reality of abortion. And joining us now via Skype is Lila Rose, founder and president of Live Action. Lila, thanks so much for being here. Can you tell us about your pro-life work and what was going through your mind when you started Live Action all those years ago? Sure. Well, I'm honored to serve as the head of Live Action. We're a global pro-life organization that educates about 15 million people on average every single week. And we mostly focus on young people, especially young women, to give them the truth about the violence of abortion, as well as the beauty and the humanity of the preborn child, motherhood, fatherhood. So we really believe that in order to end abortion, we have to focus on personal transformation. The culture has to change in order for politics and the laws to ultimately protect the preborn. So my role in this was started when I began the organization. I founded Live Action as a teenager and built it over the last decade plus. We do investigative reporting of the abortion industry. That's something that I started doing even in college. And so we expose what's happening because in order to change minds, people need to know the truth about what's actually happening inside abortion clinics. Right. And then we get that information out to millions each week. Mm. And Live Action has perhaps the most effective online presence throughout the entire movement. And you're changing hearts and minds every day, just as you said. Can you tell us about some of your ongoing online campaigns and how they are saving unborn children? I'd love to. So one of our major campaigns right now is called 2363. And it is the average number of children, 2,363 children are killed every day in America by abortion. Mm. 2,363 children is the leading cause of death in the United States, and abortion is the leading cause of death globally. So over the last several months, we've actually been in major cities across America, Los Angeles, New York City. We've been in uh, Washington, D.C., showing that number and connecting people to a video that actually shows the abortion procedure. So we've tested that when people actually see this campaign and watch this video, we see multiple people, we see 10 percentage points plus change from pro-choice to pro-life. And that's exactly what we're looking for here is transformation to move people who are very pro-choice into becoming pro-life because we, that's how we ultimately change culture is we tip public opinion. Mm -hmm. So that's a major campaign. Another one that's going to be coming up soon, Prudence, that I'm really uh, excited to share with the movement because it's so pivotal is showing abortion procedures from narrated by actual former abortionists. These are four women who were abortionists, killing thousands of children who converted. Mm -hmm. And now they're going through the procedure and we're showing through medical animations in a new campaign what happens in each single abortion procedure uh, that is prevalent in this country. So that's it's amazing when we show this to people, their hearts and minds change because they didn't know. People think abortion is just some sterile act. It's just choice. They don't consider the violence that it does to a baby. And when they're actually confronted with that violence, hearts and minds change. Yes, so effective. Those campaigns are fantastic. How is your experience and role as a mother strengthening you every day to keep fighting for the most vulnerable, Lila? Well, I think for any mom, when you have a baby, you kind of can imagine how 
amazing the experience is or how much you feel bonded to your child, but actually having my own children now, two sons, has really just made me more convicted and more passionate. I just, my heart breaks each day, as I know many of our hearts do, when I consider that there are children like my sons um, who just minutes before birth or months before birth are considered less than human and are mm -hmm. killed. It breaks my heart that mothers feel discouraged that they have to choose abortion and they don't have the connection to the resources and the encouragement that they need to choose life. So yeah, it makes me more passionate and I'm committed more than ever to end abortion. I think it's possible to do that if we band together, if we make this the priority and not get distracted with all the other issues out there, but we really focus on ending abortion in our communities, educating people, supporting mothers, it is possible mm. to change the t turn the tide here, but we have to be focused and let our conviction and our passion drive us. Amen, and what is your message to pro-abortion advocates who claim that limitations on abortion would hurt minorities, especially people in black and Latino communities? Well, abortion itself is devastating minorities. Abortion is a leading killer of black children or Hispanic children in the country today and black children are much more disproportionately affected by abortion, killed by abortion than really any other group. A black woman is three to five times more likely than a white woman to have an abortion today. So it's abortion that's the ultimate killer. And abortion, banning abortion is what's going to help the black community, help minority communities in this country. Mm -hmm. So it's a completely twisted mindset to say, if you're poor or if you're a minority, you should kill your children. That's not empower empowering, that's disempowering. And it's our responsibility to not only ban abortions, but to work in communities to support mothers and families in need so that violence against children is never seen as a solution. Mm -hmm. And Lila, switching gears, could you tell us about your recent book, Fighting for Life? I loved reading it. What was the inspiration for it? I'd love to. So Fighting for Life was written really over 10 years. It's this guidebook, my experiences building live action, traveling internationally, investigating the abortion industry, starting an organization out of nothing, that I wanted to make accessible to other people because I think a lot of us feel this tug in our hearts to do something to fight abortion, to save lives, to help mothers and fathers, but maybe people don't know where to start. So Fighting for Life is 27 steps that I took as well as the behind the scenes journey of my mistakes and triumphs and struggles over the last decade plus. And it's designed to help you so that you or someone you love who's passionate about fighting for life or really fighting for any cause has a guidebook to get started. Mm. Well, I certainly encourage all of our viewers to read it. Lila Rose, president of Live Action, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. That does it for this edition of EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. I'm Prudence Robertson. Until next time, we'd love to hear from you. Find us on social media at EWTN Pro-Life on all social media platforms, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, we're there. You can also send us a message by emailing ProLifeWeekly at EWTN.com. We love to hear from you. Remember, life is a gift. Your life is a gift. God bless.